Good evening. My name's Sophie, if I've not met you before. Um, some of you might know my husband, Ian. He is here sometimes, most of the time. Not tonight, though. I am flying solo. Uh, so let's see what happens. Um, uh, Ian and I are the soon-to-be site pastors of the North sites launching in September, which is very exciting. Yeah, are you all coming? That sounded very, that sounded great. <laughs> um, so... It's a very exciting time for us as a church at the moment. Um, we have had some wonderful preaching series, and we're in the middle at the moment of a Hearing from God series. However, we're taking a break this week. Um, so I've been seeking God on what he wants um, to kind of say to us as a community. Uh, so I'm excited. Um, so... It's an exciting time. It is a really exciting time for us as a church, I say. We're becoming a multi-site church later this year and everything that that will bring with us, with it. But I think the danger in the midst of a season like this is that we will become really wrapped up in the long list of things that we need to get done. Because in order to make it happen, there will be things that we need to do. Um, and we might sign up for a million teams to try and just plug all the gaps that appear as people move to different sites. Um, and essentially... As we get wrapped up in the midst of doing church, the risk is that we will take our eyes off Jesus. Um, I know this is certainly a real risk for me, personally. Um, at the beginning of this year, uh, we were at a great New Year's party. It was like, Happy New Year! Hooray! Uh, and then we're like, right, it's 2018. It's a big year. It's going to be a big year. We'd, we'd signed up to, uh, to launch the site. So we're like, right, it's actually in 2017. It was fine. It's like next year. And I was like... Right, so it's actually happening this year. Uh, and Ian and I just really felt the need to fix our eyes on Jesus again. And be like, do you know what? We could so easily get wrapped, in it, wrapped up in everything that we need to do, but it's got to be all about him. And we just need to lead out of that place, being intimate, being captivated by Jesus. So my Achilles heel will always be that I'm a doer. Um, my husband is a great pioneer and likes starting new things, um, but I like to actually get things finished and done. <laughs> so um, it will always be my Achilles heel and my risk that I will focus on the to-do list and forget to actually focus on Jesus. And as a church, you may uh, be familiar with this, our hope is that we will be captivated by Jesus and compelled by his love to restore the city and renew the nation. And I think what's really important is that being captivated by Jesus is the first part of that, that is all about him. It all starts with him. It's all for him. We wouldn't do this otherwise. So this evening, I wanted to take the opportunity to reflect on some of the things that captivate me about Jesus at the moment and a passage that I think has a lot to teach us as a church in this season. Um, so if you've got a Bible, um, it'd be great if you want to pick it up now. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, the words should come up on the screen behind me and you can follow along. Uh, we're going to read um, a passage that you may be familiar with the story about Jesus walking on water. Um, and this comes directly after the feeding of the 5,000, which is another famous story, uh, which is why it starts with immediately. I just thought I should explain that before we launch in immediately. Since what? Uh, so verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I'd love to just pray before we delve into this passage. Jesus, you are, you are captivating, and I pray that each of us this evening would just be so captivated by you, Jesus. Lord, would we just sit and look at your wonderful face this evening? I pray each of us would encounter you tonight, Lord. Amen. So... What I would love for us to consider this evening is, what do we learn about Jesus from this passage? And I think the first thing is that we learn that he calls us to have courage. In verse 27, Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, if you've been around Cardiff Vineyard for a little while now, you might be sat there thinking, surely not another sermon on courage. (laughs) We did do an entire series on that, so um, don't worry, fear not, have courage. I am not going to try and regurgitate an entire series in one evening. It's very warm, I don't think we have time for that. Um, But I just thought that was really interesting. We've done this whole series on the book of Joshua, and the first thing Jesus says before inviting Peter to step out onto the water is, take courage. And in the very first chapter of Joshua, when the Lord is giving him instructions about crossing the River Jordan to inherit the promised land, he repeatedly says to him, be courageous, have courage. Now, the disciples were full of fear. It says they were terrified. They weren't actually sure who Jesus was, hence, it's a ghost. Uh, And they were being buffeted by the waves. The wind was against them. So that sounds pretty scary to me. And then you see this person just walking towards you. I get it. But Jesus reassures them, take courage, it is I. He's saying, don't worry, it's me. It's me, Jesus, the guy who just fed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children as well, with five loaves and two fish. The rabbi that you have been following, listening to, you've seen me perform miracle after miracle, I've been healing people left, right, and center. I'm the one who has actually already calmed one storm and could do it again if I wanted to. That's what he's saying, it's me, you know me. And the way he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, would seem to suggest to us that the reason they don't need to be afraid is because of who he is. He is the God of miracles. He is the God that they've already seen do all of that. He says, you don't need to be afraid because I am here. And the Lord says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't be afraid, I am here, I am with you. And later on in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 28, Jesus says to his disciples after giving the great commission, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And that applies to us as well. Surely Jesus will be with us to the very end. 
Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us to the very end. So I believe that he is saying, take courage, Cardiffinyard. It is I. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. So that's the first thing that we see in this passage, that Jesus calls us once again to have courage. We can take courage from who Jesus is, the God of miracles, and because he's here, he is Emmanuel, he promises he'll be with us. That is the source of our courage. And the second thing that I think this passage teaches us, this is probably the clearest picture we'll find in the Bible that Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone. So in verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. He calls Peter out of the relative safety of the boat into the danger of the waves. In the midst of this, you know, the wind was against them. They were being buffeted by the waves. And Peter was a fisherman. He would have been aware that this was a dangerous situation. The Sea of Galilee was known for being quite stormy. And yet Peter... um, Jesus doesn't say, no, no, stay there. You should totally stay in the boat. It's much safer. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, come. Now, personally, I wouldn't ever actually describe being on a boat as being within my comfort zone. Uh, Not necessarily a huge fan. Um, But in preparing for this talk, I was reminded that actually, about 10 years ago, I did do some whitewater rafting, which those of you that know me might be like, can't see that. Um, I'll be honest, I surprised myself. So when I was 18, I went traveling to Australia as part of my gap year. Um, I decided that I wanted to have an adventure. I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. I felt it was really important to grow as a person um, and do some scary things. And I did do all kinds of crazy stuff. So I did a skydive. I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane for no apparent reason. Um, I camped for three days on an island. I don't camp, Uh, and I swam on beaches that have sirens if a shark appears. My very first day, there was a shark alert, and I still swam. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Uh, And I signed up to do whitewater rafting, and for some ridiculous reason, I decided that I would do the extreme version. So there was this boat with five lads and me, who had all signed up to do the extreme version, and I think they were just all like, spot the weakest link. It's going to be interesting. Now, they grade rapids from one to five, one being, it's fairly gentle, you should be fine, to five being actually quite dangerous, do not fall out of the boat. Uh, And I fell out on the first rapid, which was a one. (laughs) So I just remember this Australian instructor just looking at me, kind of like bobbing around in the water, help me, like, this girl is a liability. Uh, Thankfully, clearly, I made it to the end, um, and I only fell out a few more times. So that's the adventure that I had when I was 18. That was me attempting to push myself out of my comfort zone. And as I said, it certainly was exhilarating and scary at times, but to be honest with you, when I look back on that year, um, the thing that I remember the most is the crushing sense of loneliness and the desperate search for real purpose and adventure in my life. Because at that point, I didn't know Jesus. And I would say for me now, having given my life to follow Jesus seven years ago, the adventure of following him has been much more exciting and has been a totally different but totally better type of being out of my comfort zone. 
he has got me on a journey that's involved surrendering particular career plans that I'd made um, for his much better plan, uh, buying a house in his perfect timing, living in a place that he spoke very clearly to us about, um, and ultimately, I'm trying to do my best to be like loose change in God's pocket that he can spend however he chooses, which basically means that I'm not in control and therefore I am totally out of my comfort zone. So my question for you this evening is, do you know what your comfort zone is? And is God calling you out of it? As I said, we've been doing a Hearing from God series. Has he been speaking to you? Are you hearing from God about something? Perhaps it is to do with um, our church and going multi-site. Uh, perhaps it's to do with a job or a house move. Uh, it could be a relationship that he wants you to take to the next level or actually that he wants you to surrender. Um, is there a neighbor he really wants you to invest in or a friend that he's just desperate for you to share your faith with? It can be anything, big or small. Is he calling you out of your comfort zone? Because he certainly doesn't call us to settle and stay in the relative safety of the boat. He calls us out, and he invites us to choose risk over comfort. But the wonderful thing is, as we step out in faith, he makes the impossible possible. Because we've seen it in this story. When did Peter walk on the water? When he stepped out of the boat. And again, looking back to Joshua, the Lord stops the flow of the River Jordan so that the Israelites can cross into the promised land. And he stops the water, it says in verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15, as soon as their feet touched the water's edge. It's like they had to take that step of faith and then God could make it possible. And you know what, as, as hard as it is to admit, we are much more likely to see the miraculous in our lives when we live in such a way that we need God to break in and to sustain us. Um, some friends of ours in the church, we were having dinner with them a couple of weeks ago, and they were telling us this remarkable story from their life, which is hugely challenging and encouraging to us. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, the guy felt that God was speaking to him about leaving his job. He'd actually kind of refound his faith only fairly recently, and it became clear to him that his job was just not encouraging him in any of the right directions, and he felt God speak really clearly, I want you to leave your job. He didn't have anything to go to. Um, they've got two children, a mortgage to pay, and they knew that they would run out of money by the October, but he quit his job. He stepped out, and they put themselves completely in God's hands. That already really challenges me. And then um, our friend spent two weeks praying and fasting up a mountain. Love that. Uh, and at the end of those two weeks, he receives a phone call from a company that he has never heard of offering him a job. He began his new job in the August, long before they would have run out of money. They were completely in God's hands and he made the impossible possible. I just think that's amazing. Um, and in my life, um, my dear friend Hannah, when we were students, she relentlessly shared her faith with me, regularly invited me to church for over a year, despite constant rejection on my part. It was getting embarrassing for her. She was really risking looking foolish because, quite frankly, she did. Um, but you know what? God made what seemed impossible possible because I eventually said yes. I came to church. I found faith in Jesus and I came home. Imagine if she hadn't done that. 
I mean, her comfort zone would have been to just be a nice friend, but keep her faith to herself. But she chose not to do that. She chose to regularly step out, put herself out there, share her faith with me, get battered. And yet, me standing here today, preaching about how great Jesus is, is proof that all things are possible with God. When we step out, God makes the seemingly impossible possible. However, we've read the story. We know what happens next. Peter is living the impossible. He is walking on water, but then he sees the wind. It says in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So what happened? Well, I think he sees all of the reasons why what he's currently doing should not be possible. He's struck by reality that he would appear to be in danger, that what is happening is beyond human ability, and he starts to sink. Now, I think Peter can get quite a bad rep for this story. Uh, Many of us may be familiar with it, and it's easy to sit here today and think, I've heard this, he's an idiot, he sinks, what a wally, you know, silly Pete. But if there's ever a disciple that I can relate to, it's gonna be this one. This story is so human, it's so real, because it is all too easy to get distracted. You know, how are we ever going to afford for you not to take a promotion? How will I ever pay my rent if I do what I think God is calling me to do? What are my parents going to think about X, Y, and Z? I mean, insert the blank, it could be anything. Surely it's impossible. Surely it can't happen. Surely God didn't actually mean it when he told me 30 times. There will always be human circumstances that make it seem impossible. And there will always be voices that would seek to distract you. The first thing that the enemy says in the Bible is, did God really say that? Did he really say that? Surely not. The winds will inevitably come and there will be distractions. But despite the distractions, I believe that we can avoid sinking we can walk on water and live the impossible. And we can stay afloat when we see the wind. Let's just delve into these verses again from 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter was walking on water until he saw the wind. When he was moving towards Jesus, he wasn't sinking. He was walking on water. So how do we avoid the sinking? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul encourages the church, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Circumstances and human reasons can be seen, but when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see that which is eternal. We see the seemingly impossible when we look at him. So, I'd just love you to consider for a moment, would you say at the moment in your life, are your eyes fixed on your circumstances or on Jesus? 
And that's a real challenge to me as well. As I said at the beginning of this year, um, I really felt the need to lean into Jesus again, that I was so desperately in need of him to do all of the things that we're doing. And I just needed to be captivated once again amidst the busyness of life. And I've really had to make an effort to do that because it definitely requires a level of intention. So um, I've decided that I'll admit I love a bit of classic FM uh, and I do play it in the kitchen uh, and I'm quite proud of that. But um, I need to actually listen to worship music every day. I need that truth to just be absorbed into the walls of my house and into my heart. And I've also got myself back into a rhythm of fasting again. Um, so I'll go without breakfast and lunch one day a week, um, which just reminds me that I have everything I need in God. And it just focuses my attention on him. And it really just elevates my spiritual life. So I just share that with you this evening as an encouragement that if you find yourself in a place where you really need to fix your eyes on Jesus, just have a think about some of the rhythms in your life at the moment and whether you are are able to make space to reflect on him and be reminded of who he is. There's a beautiful hymn that I just, I love. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we fix our eyes on him, the winds will die down. The distractions will grow strangely dim. As we're captivated by Jesus, we can keep on walking on water. So, Jesus calls us to have courage. He calls us out of our comfort zone. He makes the impossible possible. And finally, he is faithful. Because what happens when Peter starts to sink? Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Not after a moment of letting him flounder and splash around and freak out, immediately. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is he asking, why did you doubt me? Or is he asking, why did you doubt yourself? I think it's a combination. I think that Jesus is asking, why did you suddenly doubt that you could walk on water when, when you were looking at me, you were doing it, and then suddenly you weren't doing it? Why did you doubt? And it's not clear from the text, but it would appear that Jesus isn't waiting for an answer. He doesn't demand an answer from Peter. He just walks back with him to the boat. He's so gracious. Even when we lose faith, he is faithful. He's there saying, take courage, it's me. In our moments of doubting, when we get distracted and begin to sink, he's right there and he picks us up. In Thessalonians, Paul says, the one who calls you is faithful. The one who is calling us is so faithful. He says, come, he calls us out, and regardless of our level of faith, he is faithful. Some friends of ours are in the process of buying a house, which is exciting. Uh, they're moving to an area that they believe God has made it very clear he wants them to be. Um, they found this house, and um, they were warned that it could be a really lengthy process. We've all heard horror stories of it taking forever. Um, the, the sellers hadn't even begun to look for a, their onward purchase, so the really disheartening wait began. They'd been told and just kind of resigned themselves that it was going to be really painful. Um, until 
they received an email much sooner than expected, uh, explaining that not only had the sellers found their onward purchase, but there was no chain, and the sale could proceed immediately. So it's all underway. And the first thing that our friend said when they told us this story was, why did we ever doubt him? Why did we ever doubt him? And I love that she got this email at work and apparently she burst out of her office and was like, why did I ever doubt him? To just an office full of people like, sorry, who, what? <laughs> he is so faithful, regardless of how full of faith we are, he is right there to pick us up the moment we begin to doubt. And that doesn't mean to say that if it had taken a really long time, he wouldn't be faithful, but do you know what? Sometimes Jesus is just so kind. So I'd like to finish with this. Jesus walks back to the boat with Peter. And how do the disciples respond? In the only way possible. Verse 32 says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They saw him for who he truly is. In moments when we see God's faithfulness to us, when he breaks through in our lives or the lives of those around us, we see him moving. Isn't it just such an encouragement? I've definitely had moments where I've seen him moving and seen him for who he truly is and thought, oh my goodness, God, I knew you were amazing, but you are amazing. He's amazing. The disciples were captivated by him. And when we see Jesus in all his glory, when we see his faithfulness to us, the only possible response is to just worship him. So through this remarkable account, we see that Jesus calls us to take courage and we can be courageous knowing that he is with us. He calls us out of our comfort zone. And when we step out, he makes the impossible possible. And we see that he is so faithful to us that the moment we falter, he's there to catch us. So, in this next chapter of our life as a church and all of our individual lives, let's take that courage. Let's step out in the full expectation of seeing the impossible become possible as we seek to restore the city and see lives transformed. And let's worship him because he is so faithful. Let's be captivated by Jesus this evening. <laughs>